This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. <laughs> Hello, good evening, and welcome to the Lit Lit Show on Thursday, the 15th of February. We have a great show lined up for you tonight. We have Brianna Kennedy, who's coming to us from Glasgow, that's just across the water from me here. And we have Amy Murphy, who's coming. This all the way. is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Oh, I interrupted myself with my own jingle there. We have Amy Murphy, who's coming from America, Georgia in America. Is everybody in the studio and everybody can hear me and can I hear you all? This show is brought to you in partnership oh. with... You can hear yourself, yeah. I'm here. Yeah. I hear you. Great, 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 great. Yeah. So, Brianna, you're in Glasgow. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. But I've only been here a few months, so I'm finding my way around still. It's very exciting. Yeah, yeah, it is very exciting. Yeah. So that's an American accent you have. Yeah, I'm originally from Los Angeles, California, but I've oh, had a right. kind of interesting path that has led me across the US to Europe and now from the Netherlands over to the UK. So it's been it's been kind of an interesting road for me. Um, but this is new chapter in Glasgow it has just started. So I'm excited to see Whoa. where this one leads. Whoa, okay. Uh, you and I first met in Dublin way back in January, which seems like months ago now. Mm-hmm. But Apart from that, have you ever been to Ireland? Um, I have been to Ireland once for one oh, week good. total. So that was it. But in, I've only been to North Ireland driving through on the way to that conference. So um, I have more exploring to do in Northern Ireland still. Oh, you've been to Northern Ireland. Oh, that's yeah. great. Yeah, driving Excellent. through. Driving through. Well, at least you've been here. Have you been No. No, she was driving through with her dog too. So that was one of her big goals was finding beaches for her dog in Dublin. Oh, right. Okay. So you drove through Ireland with your dog? Yeah. So I drove to the conference. Oh, I'm new to Glasgow, so we don't have a dog sitter yet. So I just had to take oh, Of course. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I'm learning to drive on the left-hand side of the road. That's exciting. Quite an adventure. So we drove uh, through Scotland to the ferry and got on the ferry with the car and all of these adventures are new and then drove down to the conference. So yeah, it was good fun. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Gosh, that's great. Yeah. And Amy, you're in Georgia. Yes. Yeah. And is that, that's kind of, well, my geography is not great. That's kind of South kind of America, is it? Your South? geography is Excellent. A plus. Yes. <laughs> so Georgia is on the East Coast of the United States, and it's right yeah. above Florida. Most people know where Florida is, which is actually where I'm from. Um, and Georgia's right. right above Florida. Okay. So if I ask you, what was your weather like today? Would we be very jealous? Today you would. Yes, you oh. would today. Right. Okay. Right. So yes, there's sunshine. Yeah. Oh, okay. And it's, 
Yeah, I know you can you can hear the pain in my voice there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's about four o'clock in the afternoon with you. It is, yes. Yeah. It so is. I'm I'm bright, ready to go. Great. Oh, great, great. So uh, Brianna told us a little bit about her journey and how she's got to, you know, to this point. So what about you, Amy? What's your kind of career path that's got you to to this point? Where actually, I should say, uh, both of you have been doing great research. Uh, you've been looking at uh, teachers kind of uh, persistent dilemmas and how they can um, set about resolving some of the problems and difficulties they have. In fact, uh, if I'm right, you're going to put your great work into a book so that we can all benefit from it. That's um, mm -hmm. Frame Shifting for Teachers, Developing a Conscious Approach to Solve Persistent Teaching Dilemmas. And I think that comes out quite soon. We'll all look forward to that. So, Amy, what, what's your route or path to, to get you to now? Um, well, I don't know how early to begin, but I will say that um, I went straight out of my bachelor's into teaching in a private school and realized that and my bachelor's was not in education, that that was not necessarily the population I wanted necessarily to work with and that actually there is benefit to teacher education. So I got my master's degree and taught English ed or English um, in a really pretty diverse school in Florida for about 10 years. Um, and then I got my PhD and now I've been in University of Georgia, and I do a lot of work with future teachers. And I also have a really close partnership with one of our local middle schools. So like I was just there an hour ago, actually. Um, so I do a lot of work with practicing teachers, actually, who have a lot of dilemmas, of course. Um, so that's sort of the quick and easy version. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So what are some of the kind of dilemmas and I'm sure we all know but we do have a lot of young teachers who, who listen to the show and maybe some who don't have jobs yet and maybe some student teachers what are the dilemmas that that teachers face you know I think this the the nature of dilemmas that teachers face often reflects career phase not necessarily but I think the thing that we hear the most from a lot of newer teachers is tends to be first characterized in their minds at least as about classroom management so you know how do I how do I manage the class so that I can teach the lesson I have to teach um, and then as teachers become more confident and, and develop a style of classroom management that they feel more comfortable with, um, the, the nature of the dilemmas may change. Of course, you know, this is a broad generalization, but we do see the pattern that tends to emerge. And so then for more experienced teachers, the dilemmas might be about relationships with certain kids, or um, it might be about um, certain curricular topics that are challenging, or it might be about instructional activities that aren't landing quite the way that they anticipate. Um, and of course, you know, classroom management is on the scene there as well. So that's never not there, but the degree to which it is consuming a teacher's mind often depends on kind of where they are in their trajectory. Mm. That's interesting. And, you know, before we, we started the show, you know, we were all talking and I think we all probably visit uh, student teachers and, and we visit them on teaching practice or, or whatever you call it. Um, but certainly one of their big fears is how will I cope? What will the discipline be like? How will I manage my class? 
uh, it's a very real fear for them, isn't it? It really is. And I think, you know, once we get more into this frame shifting approach that we're interested in, what we want to invite people to consider is, are there other things happening actually that's causing the what you're perceiving as a classroom management problem? So like I have a student right now I'm working with who just said, oh my gosh, I had the worst day ever, Dr. Murphy. You know, I had the students sit here and tell me, I'm not doing this crap. I'm not doing this worksheet you just gave me. And he's posing it to me like it's this classroom management problem. You know, I can't get this kid to pay attention. Well, really the issue was the curriculum and instruction was boring as all heck, you know? So that was really the issue, but he's thinking, so once we get more into the, into it, but that's a perfect example of, um, especially novice teachers, like Brianna was saying, like their go-to is often to think it's a classroom management problem, but there are other issues at play. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 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 let's talk about it then. What is frame shifting in a nutshell? Just tell us what it is. Well, Paul, we want to, start off, I think, by telling you a bit of a story about how we kind of got to where we are. And it's a story about a teacher that we worked with who um, has very generously agreed to let us share her story. Um, and this teacher was participating in a professional learning community with us. And we were really focused with a group of teachers in that professional learning community on classroom management. So the teachers brought their challenges um, and we worked through those in the, over the process of about five months. And so in the case of this particular teacher, when we said, okay, what, what, what's your dilemma? What's your challenge? Um, she described how during the first 10 minutes of class, the kids would, would come in and they would make a lot of noise and they wouldn't find their seats quickly. And she would have a warm up on the board, but they, they, they wouldn't get to work on it. And she was perplexed by this. And she was really frustrated because she had tried strategies that she had learned in her, she was taking a course and she had a, an emergency credential. So she was taking a course in, in teaching at the same time. And she had learned strategies like attention getters um, and they weren't working. And so she was feeling really stuck. And this was an impetus for, for our thinking around this approach. And as we worked with her, um, we also, we were doing other research and we were synthesizing other research and working with other teachers. And that has what is what has led us to, to develop this approach. So um, as we talk through it, we will, well, her name is Teresa Nash. That's a pseudonym that we're using for her. Um, we'll, we'll refer back to her story uh, as, as we go through this approach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so, so, well, what happened with Teresa then? She's under pressure. Uh, she's got this lesson set up in her head. It's all right and it all should be happening. But the kids are coming in and it's not matching up. It's not meeting up. Well, it's interesting because when we first asked her, like, so what is your dilemma? You know, what are you really trying to figure out? She's like, my kids are unruly. They're not paying attention. You know, they're just out of control, basically. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. Um, and you can hear in the way she said that, that there was actually some beliefs about her children that were operating at the time. So again, she's saying like they're unruly, they're out of control sort of thing. So our first... Um, part of this approach is actually engaging teachers and thinking about their beliefs about themselves and their students. Because if she's if she continued to think about her students in that manner, it would impede any kind of progress we would have. 
Um, so we've developed the first part of our approach is really kind of engaging. We call it the habits of mind. Um, one of them is to see your students from an asset perspective instead of a deficit perspective. So when you're calling your students things like unruly, instead of really kind of taking it back, like actually what are you observing them doing? Um, it kind of helps peel back the layer a little bit to see like that her, she's perceiving her students in a deficit sort of um, orientation. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. Um, yeah, you're reminding me of, um, and I suppose it's, <laughs> it's a bit embarrassing to say, it was probably 39 years ago um, <laughs> when I began teaching and, um, you know, depending on how you look at it, you talk about mindset and framing, depending on how you look at it, I was either very lucky or very unlucky because both of my parents were teachers. So when I would come home and say, <laughs> see those children, they don't listen to a word I say. <laughs> and I do remember we wouldn't have used the term frame shifting or we wouldn't even have said mindset or anything, but I do remember um being spoken to at times and saying well, well what's your expectation of them what are you expecting from them uh, you're going in with you know the idea that they should be you know i have a thing about french verbs i taught french verbs that they should all be interested in french verbs and want to learn them but you know their heads are somewhere else so yeah i can really identify with that yeah um so, so that's habits of mind yes I think, them, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think have you have you a few? Have you three habits of mind? I think did I read? Yeah. So so when when we were listening to Teresa and she was talking about the kids being unruly, we thought, huh? I I wonder I wonder what else we could say about the kids if we if we think about. Uh, their assets rather than their deficits. And that was the beginning of when we really started to identify this as this is a habit of mind that is going to be really important to addressing a dilemma. As we continued to talk with Teresa and our entire group of teachers, and as we continue to do our research and, and engage in other professional development work, we continue to see other sort of habits, thought patterns that we noticed that our um, teacher participants were kind of bumping up against. And so there was this asset focus. We needed to focus on that. Um, and then there was this additional one uh, that we refer to as sort of taking, defining the problem in a way that you have control over solving it. Um, we have fancy names for these, but we're trying not to get too in the weeds with our mm. because we think that, mm. that that might be a bit too dense. So um, they have this, a, the fancy name is the habit of personal attribution, um, but that's not important to remember. The the spirit of that means that you know you're defining the problem as something that you have direct influence over. So you know it is completely valid and relevant to say poverty is affecting my students. I mean, teachers <clears throat> living in poverty can make that statement, that is a dilemma, but that is not a dilemma that we can directly have control over and improve within the context of the classroom in a day-to-day -day, day -day encounters, day-to-day -day interactions. So that wouldn't be the type of dilemma or the type of phrasing of a dilemma that's gonna help us with this approach. So we needed to help teachers to identify um, what they could have control over and also, what they could take responsibility for. So 
Um, Not only do I say, okay, this is something I can have control over, but this is something that I'm willing to take on. I'm willing to be the one to solve this. I'm not going to wait for the students to change. I'm not going to wait for their parents to change. I'm not going to wait for the community to change. I'm going to figure out what I can do in my classroom. And that, that habit of mind is a really important one to carry through this approach because it's very easy when you get um, demoralized, you know, from being challenged to come to the end of your efficacy, to come to the end of the point where you feel like, okay, I really can solve this myself. And at that point, it's easy to start to shift the responsibility to these kids. I need these kids to want to learn. If these kids don't want to learn, I can't teach them. That shifts the power to the kids. And that shifts the responsibility to the kids. And this this approach is about maintaining that power, maintaining that control, maintaining that responsibility. And so we knew that teachers needed to engage that. Mm. Um, the third thing we noticed is that- but can, can we just, can we- yeah, just really. break that down a little bit. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, I'm very so excited. I could talk about this all day. So you just have to just great, great. 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 Yeah. Um, so yeah. Gosh, I find that interesting. I, I, yeah. I, I'm actually reminded there of um, it, it's actually some research my wife does. Um, she's an academic like yourselves and. One of the things she looked at was student teachers and um, she kind of looked at, you know, their attitudes and, you know, things like that. And she asked them, she put it to them, um, what kind of school they would like to teach in. And all of the interviewees, except one, wanted to teach in these beautiful schools with, you know, lovely tree lined avenues and brand new buildings and pupils in perfect uniforms and fantastic discipline. And um, there were even comments, I think, about, you know, the car park had these beautiful cars lined up in it and and so on, you know. Um, But that's interesting. Now, one of the students she interviewed, who from her point of view, her research point of view, had come through uh, her journey through her education was very different. And, you know, it would have been you know, she didn't pass her 11 plus. She went to secondary school, as we would call it here. Uh, and she wanted to kind of return to the same kind of social setting, the same area, and really do something uh, effective for, mm-hmm. you know, children who maybe were like her. Yeah. That's interesting. That reminded me very much of that. So are you saying that's personal attribution? Yeah, so personal attribution is uh, sort of got has these two parts. One is about making sure that your problem is proximal, something you can have control over, and then taking responsibility for solving it. So Mm. we we keep coming back to that as we work through the dilemma, because we notice, like I was saying, that it's easy to get demoralized and then shift that responsibility somewhere else. So so it's this habit of mind of always coming back, okay, I'm going to figure out what I can do here. I'm I'm going to persist. Mm. Right. So like with Teresa, instead of her describing her dilemma as like, these kids are so unruly and out of control. If she describes it as, okay, when I start the class, what can I do to structure class so that they come in and blah, blah, blah. So that she's really taking that personal, again, attribution. Like, what can I do? What do I have control over within this domain, you know, within my classroom to help these behaviors? 
it's, it's really empowering actually when you shift that kind of language, you know, especially if you've been butting up against it so much, this dilemma that keeps happening. Kind of think like, wait a second, I actually have some things I can do to, to help shift it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I wasn't expecting this to happen in this program, but I'm being reminded of so many things. And again, it depends on where you stand. I either had the great fortune or the misfortune to, when I again, 39 years ago, more, uh, to teach for a short while in the same school as my mother taught. Oh, wow. And I remember um, coming along one day in a corridor and I had a difficult class and, uh, you know, there was a lot of trouble lining them up outside the room. They were all over the corridor and it's like, you know, I was losing control over them and you're getting cross, you're getting temp, right, come on, you lot, line up and, and this, that and the other. And embarrassment of embarrassments, my mother came round the corner and uh, obviously she, <laughs> she saw everything that was going on. But I was really gobsmacked at what she did. I really, really was. I can't remember the name of the class. Let, let's say it's, you know, 10C. And she came around and she just said, right, 10C, let me see the best line that you can put on this morning. And they just all got into line. They just, they just shot into line. And it was just that sense, I think, of, you know, she had a very different approach, a very different expectation of them. And it worked. I know she was more senior in the school. I know all that. And there's other factors and, and so on. But I wonder, is that an example then of, you know, something that but it was in my control, but I didn't have the, the mindset, I suppose, or the frame of mind to, to manage it? You know, it's interesting because you also are sort of tapping into the third habit, which we haven't talked about yet. And that is the one that asks the teacher to move from judgment to observation. And so here's what I mean by that. That sounds a little bit academic, but what I mean is, so when, when, um, when Teresa was describing her class and she said, um, the kids come in, they're unruly, they won't sit down, they won't get started. She has gone straight to um, an interpretation of what's happening. The kids aren't working and a judgment of that. They're unruly. But they what she doesn't, sorry? And they don't want to do their work. Like they yeah. don't want to do that. Right. And what she hasn't told us is an observation of what's of the details of what's going on. And sometimes the, the, the details really give a lot of information about what we haven't explored. So in, in your example, we maybe there's something to be considered about what, what you were doing. Mm. How you how were you how were you projecting yourself? What, what were what expectations you know were the kids familiar with what was your relationship with them like so there are things that we might ask you then to describe more specifically in that scene like if we were to freeze frame the scene and you were to step back from your judgment of the kids being squirrely right the, the language that you use and you were to step back and we were to say okay paul what do you actually see here? Tell us everything you see in this picture. You know, like those kids' workbooks, right? What are, what's every, which ones are the same? And you have to look at all the lines and all the little dots and whatever. 
what's really going on in everything you see. And then you start to see different. Are you going to make me tell you, Brianna? Are you going to make me tell you? <laughs> Perhaps yes. nine years later. <laughs> so, so this is the third habit you have to be able to do in order to move to the second stage. So when we asked Teresa to do this, then she started to say, okay, the kids come in and instead of going to a seat, they walk around the room and they walk around the room before they pick up the notebooks that they're supposed to write in. And I have the warm up projected on the screen and the warm up um, has a lot of colors and a lot of words and the words are very busy and the words are long, right? So she starts to notice more about the scene that she wasn't considering to even be relevant at all. And so being able to do that, to separate out your observation from your interpretation and your judgment is the third habit we really want to have in place before we take teachers to the second stage of the approach. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Can teachers do that on their own? It must be a lot easier with someone to help them. I certainly think they can, you know, if they are aware of these habits on their own, or I don't think they need someone to necessarily walk them through it. Um, but it certainly does help to have someone to talk with and, you know, almost a critical friend to help kind of yeah. kindly challenge when they are hearing deficit thinking, you know, we're presenting this, like it's this linear thing, like you address your deficit thinking and then you move on and you fix the problem. But deficit thinking is happening all the time in our heads. You know, we're constantly doing it. We have to catch ours. It's almost like bias. You have to catch yourself. Wait, I'm doing that thing again. Let me hold on. Let me rethink this. Why am I thinking this way about my students right now or their, their families? So it's I do think it's something that people can do on their own. Um, but I certainly do think it also helps to have a community like a PLC, which is what we worked with um, with these teachers to kind of help them puzzle through these dilemmas together and these habits of mine. Mm. What's a PLC for us? Sorry, a professional learning community. So it's a small. Oh, community. okay. Yeah. 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 Talk through problems. Mm. Brianna, were you going to say something? Yeah. I was just going to, I was just going to add that I, I, I agree completely that it's possible to do on your own. It's probably easier and more helpful and frankly, more fun to do with a supportive group of peers. In an exercise like this, like the one that we were just exploring, um, I can imagine that, you know, young Paul, who was looking down the corridor and seeing these unruly kids, um, maybe wouldn't really be able to think back about the other things that were going on in the scene because he was so emotionally involved in trying to get control. So I think it's really helpful if you are working on your own to engage processes and methods like video observation, you know, so record yourself at the moment that your dilemma tends to happen and go back and try to see things in a new way and try to really observe the, the, the whole picture. So there's some tools you can engage that can be assisting you if you are trying to do this by yourself, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we've developed some of those tools so that teachers can do this on their own. I mean, you know, if a teacher wanted to take this approach on their own, we've developed different exercises to help them that ask some of these probing questions to help them get at it. And we've also developed a, another scenario that we talk about, um, another teacher's dilemma, and his dialogue with his instructional coach who's guiding him through it. So you can hear how a teacher's thinking through these this process. Um, yeah. yeah, that's that's interesting, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I wouldn't have had anybody to, you know, um, and I suppose, you know, my senses were busy and, and so on. One, one recollection I do have, it's a bit like, it's, it was like picking up water. You, you can't pick it up, you know, and the more you try to pick it up, the, the more it kind of filters through your fingers and gets away from you. Um, I, I have a recollection of a sense of panic and uh, probably the, the, you know, the opposite of confidence, very much a deflation. You know, these are 14 year olds. I'm whatever I was, 22 or whatever, I should be able to. Yeah. And the more I said I should be able to, uh, when I wasn't, the worse it was. Um, but, but Paul, it's funny that you say you didn't have anyone because you had your mom. Did you like? Did you did you ask? Her, like, how did you do that? How did you make them do what you wanted? And and the reason I raised that, Brianna, on on your drive up through Northern Ireland, did you meet many Irish mothers? Oh, well. <laughs> I, I anyway, was, anyway, yes, yes. I guess I was sort of making light of the specifics, but in fact, um, you know, if we sort of generalize that example a bit, we often have colleagues that are happy to give us insights, are happy to come see our class briefly, you know, or explore. And I would say, choose ideally choose someone who also has that asset perspective who also is taking personal responsibility for solving the problems that are happening in their class you know the master teachers around you see see what they say see if they're willing to come and 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 watch that part of your class where the dilemma happens and you can use them as a sounding board so i think maybe there are sometimes more resources than we might be identifying yeah. And I think nowadays the culture in schools and staff rooms and, and places is slightly different. And, you know, we, we do a lot of schools will have mentors and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't necessarily right. have in my day. And I think the culture would have been it would have been different. So, OK, so. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say it's really interesting that you shared that dilemma with us or that scenario, because it's actually very similar to what Teresa was dealing with, which is there's this transition that's hard to control. And we've only really talked about the first part of our approach, which is a lot of the mindsets. But then the next part, it's called frame shifting. And so we talk about that there are three domains of teaching. There's classroom management, curriculum and instruction and relationships. And if you picture those like in a triple diagram, Venn diagram that overlap, mm -hmm. hopefully I, I do this a good job on the radio of explaining this. But if you take a frame and you really kind of zoom in on that Venn diagram, and when you were dealing with that transition of those kids, initially it really seemed like a classroom management issue because their behavior is really at play. And so you know, we would work with you on developing some ways of thinking about, okay, what could you have done to facilitate a smoother transition into the room and to have some routines around that and whatnot. But then we would kind of back up, see the whole Venn diagram again of relationships, curriculum and instruction, classroom management. And we'd be like, what else is going on? Because I suspect that relationships were also going on in that situation. There was something about the way that you were presenting yourself to them, maybe your connections with them that might have impacted why they were or were not compliant. And so then we asked the teachers, okay, let's just zoom into this other domain. I know it seemed like it was a classroom management thing only, but actually there might've been some relationship stuff happening too. And that's exactly what happened with Teresa. I mean, as we then zoomed into all the three different domains, 
we helped her identify how actually it wasn't just about, I can't control the kids when they walk in the room. Mm, yeah, yeah. So um, we've, we've got our habits. There's really three of them. And the third one may be divided into, into two parts. And you're now saying then we look at domains of teaching. Is that what would happen in, in terms of frame shifting? And we, we bring an analysis of relationships, curriculum, and I can't remember the third one now to, <laughs> to, to our problem. I don't know, Paul. <laughs> yeah, so, so once the habits of mind, we've introduced those and teachers are feeling somewhat confident and comfortable with being able to engage those, we move into this second part of looking at these three domains, and, and those are curriculum and instruction. Uh, classroom management and relationships. doesn't matter really what order we put them in because the idea, uh, we call those domains of teaching because the idea is if you take a snapshot of any classroom, of any age, those three things are going on. So, at the same time, all the time. Yes, at the same time, all the time, exactly. So you know, we, we, can, we can freeze frame any moment in any classroom and we can say something about each of those three things because they're all engaged in some way. And so in this second stage, we ask teachers to identify which of the three domains they think they've positioned their dilemma in originally. Okay, so, you know, if we said, Paul, which of those three domains do you think your example of the, the, the hallway would fall into? I'm guessing, you correct me if I'm wrong, I'm guessing you would say that was probably a classroom management issue. Is that right? I would. In those days, I would have definitely said that. Yeah. 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 So, so then, you know, we would unpack, okay, let's think more about classroom management. What else might we be able to identify in terms of um, what you might not be thinking about and what you've done already? But then, like Amy said, we would then zoom out to get more information and then zoom back into a different domain. So, you know, you can kind of visualize like the frame gets bigger and then the frame gets small again and it captures a different circle. And this other circle might be relationships. And so then we would say, okay, Paul, um, let's think about your relationships with those kids and how well did you know them and how well did you know their parents and how well did they know you? So we might ask a sequence of questions that might lead to an aha moment where you think, oh, actually, <laughs> actually, I don't know what you would say, but let's say, you know, um, in Teresa's case, she didn't, she, she didn't have a lot of contact with families at that point. She didn't really know what her kids did outside of school. She, we haven't talked about this yet, but the context that we were in was a very racialized one. So her students were from a different racial background than she was, and she really didn't know much about their racial ethnic identity, their communication styles. And so these things came into play as we further unpacked what was going on in that 10 minute transition. Um, so we focus on relationships, and then we do the same thing with the third domain curriculum and instruction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, again, that's very interesting. Yeah. And, and I'm not sure if it's useful to focus on me or if we want to stick with Teresa. <laughs> uh, it doesn't matter. Thinking back, and it's hard to think back that far. Um, I think my focus would have been on curriculum. My sense would have been 
the bell has gone. I've arrived. You've arrived. We all need to be in that room because I've got these 17 things to teach you and we've only half an hour to do it. Come on, you lot, line up, get in quickly. And I think that's probably where my um, my worry or my concern and I would have been kind of, you know, my sense is I would have been trying to force that, which was kind of against where they were, you know, mentally and so on. And yeah, I was always struck, you see, by the contrast. Sorry, I'm interrupting you, but I was always struck by the contrast and the ease with which my mother came around the corner and she just said, you know, let me see the best line 10C can do this morning. And it's just, it's just, there was not, there was no effort. There was nothing. And there's me putting in all this effort and, you know, well, you can look at me now. I have no hair left, but in those <laughs> days I was pulling it out. That's <laughs> why you're bald now. <laughs> <laughs> this is a choice. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, no, I'm just going to say it's interesting because, again, you're demonstrating this frame shifting approach. So you said, you know, I would have initially have placed it in the domain of curriculum and instruction because I've planned my, I have my curriculum and boom, 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 we're going to do this. And then you said, but I actually think students that would, that would butt up against kind of, you didn't say this, but you were saying you expect students to just sit down, get started, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. When we ask teachers to think about relationships, some of the guiding questions we ask are, what do you know about what's developmentally normal or appropriate for kids? So if you're teaching adolescents to expect them to just walk in, be quiet, sit in a straight you know, line and not talk, that's an issue with relationships and how you're connecting with your students, which is then going to impact your curriculum and instruction. So it's just interesting that you just illustrated that once again, that kind of interdependence of these domains and that frame shifting to another domain is, can be really instructive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I think there is. I can see that clearly now. There is, you know, an interdependence between between the three. Um, listen, great chat, great conversation. Unfortunately, we need to take a very short break now and we'll be right back after these messages. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving, and many more. Offer the Eaton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit EatonX.com to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News.
the mother of murdered schoolgirl Brianna Jai, has spoken about the need for positive change and a lasting legacy for her daughter. Mrs Jai visited Westminster as part of her campaign for mindfulness to be taught in all schools in England. She commented on her Peace and Mind UK Facebook page that her focus would be to improve lives by empowering people, giving them the tools to build mental resilience, empathy and self-compassion through mindfulness. She went on to say that she hoped to create more understanding for everyone. Mrs Jai has already raised thousands of pounds to deliver mindfulness training in schools in her local area. The Department for Education has said there were no plans to introduce mindfulness, but the RSHE curriculum included a strong focus on mental health and that all schools had been offered grants to train a senior mental health lead by 2025. Mrs Jai has also spoken about the idea for a phone for under 16s to limit access to social media apps. The Children's Commissioner, Dame Rachel D'Souza, told the BBC that she supported the ideas and said more could be done to promote phones that are safe by design. She described Mrs Jai's vision as really smart, but questioned whether the likes of Google and Apple would create phones with access that is safe by design. PM Rishi Sunak has stated that the new Online Safety Act is robust, but parents told the BBC how difficult it is to take away a smartphone from a child who already has one, whilst others described the pressure from social media as relentless. In Wales, the cap on university tuition fees is rising from £9,000 to £9,250 a year from September. Education Minister Jeremy Miles says he recognises students will be disappointed. A report on the BBC News website says loans will also go up to cover the 2.8% increase, which will affect undergraduate students studying in Wales whose home address is in Wales. Those with a home address in Wales but who study in other parts of the UK are unaffected because they already pay the £9,250 for their studies. Mr Miles blames sustained inflationary pressure on high education providers in Wales and that the increase was unavoidable, but would help to safeguard provision and investment. The Guardian reported on school finances with an article on findings that almost half of multi-academy trusts in England were in deficit last year. The report by the accountancy network Creston UK was based on studying the accounts of 279 trusts, representing over 2,300 schools. It found 47% were running in-year deficits. Rising energy bills and staffing costs were blamed by many and made worse by uncertainty around income streams. School leaders say that schools are constantly asked to do more with less. Last October, the Department for Education in England admitted to making a £370 million error, meaning mainstream primary and secondary schools will be given at least £50 less for each pupil than original forecasting predicted. This forced school leaders to redraw their budgets for 2024 to 25. With energy costs still high and a recruitment and retention crisis leading to an increased use of agency staff, mean that many school leaders are facing further pressure on budgets and many expect a deficit trend to continue. 
More than 100 school buildings containing dangerous concrete will be rebuilt or refurbished, according to a report on the BBC. The government says all affected schools will receive funding to permanently remove the dangerous concrete known as RAC. Unions say the announcement includes no new money. The 234 schools affected in England have reportedly returned to face-to-face learning, but many children are still being taught in marquees, portable classrooms or in other off-site locations. Some pupils have not been able to access specialist classrooms for design and technology, as well as science labs and other specialist spaces. The government has been criticised for not making changes to exams for those affected. Finally, a jury in the United States of America has held the mother of a 15-year-old mass shooter criminally responsible for the death of four high school students in 2021. The 15-year-old himself was sentenced to life without parole in December, but at the start of February, the male's mother was found guilty of involuntary manslaughter. The first time a parent has been convicted of such charges due to their child's role in a mass shooting. The case has raised questions about the accountability of parents. Although the youth's parents had gifted him the weapon days before the attack. Prosecutors also argued that parents had not paid enough attention to their son's declining mental health. US law generally only holds individuals responsible for their own actions, but this case appears to present some change. The schools where the shooting took place has also faced criticism for not acting swiftly when drawings of guns were found on the mail earlier in the day of the shooting. Whatever the outcome of the sentencing, the case appears to be reinvigorating debate around the issue of parental responsibility, alongside individual culpability. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving and many more. Offer the Eaton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit eatonx.com to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Welcome back, everybody. It's the Lit Lit Show on You've Thursday. You've been listening and to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in. Not coping in the studio here tonight at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, <laughs> let me get a grip on myself here. And we are with Amy, 
who's in America, all the way from America tonight, and Brianna, who's just across the way over here in Glasgow. And we're talking about frame shifting. And uh, we seem to be having a bit of fun doing it as well, which is a really, really, really good thing. I'm glad we're doing that. So look, in the last segment, maybe it would be a good idea if we just told everybody, just in a nutshell, about your research and what exactly frame shifting is and how it can help teachers. Okay, I'm going to try to be as succinct as possible, but in a nutshell, <laughs> frame shifting is an approach that teachers can use when they face these dilemmas that are just persistent. And these are the dilemmas that keep you up at night. You, you feel like you've tried everything and you're like you, Paul, you're pulling your hair out. So the first thing that we, there's two steps. The first step is to kind of think about the beliefs that you're bringing to the dilemma, how you're thinking about the kids. Are you taking personal responsibility for it? Are you already placing judgments on what's happening or are you really taking in a empirical observation of what's occurring. Kind of just really thinking about your beliefs. That's the first step. And then the second step is, okay, so once you've hopefully kind of honed your beliefs, and the reason actually I want to back up a second, the reason that's important is because, for example, when we talked about Teresa, her, she originally described her dilemma as the students are unruly and they're not paying attention and they don't really want to get to work. There's all kinds of judgment and deficit thinking in that. Once we helped her think through that, she rephrased her question as, what can I do to structure my beginning of class so kids smoothly transition into the room and begin work? So it's important for teachers to take that step. Once they've taken that step, we encourage them to think about, okay, so what domain of teaching is your dilemma in? Are you framing your dilemma in classroom management? Is it a classroom management problem? Is it relationships? Or is it curriculum and instruction? And what we found is that oftentimes teachers will automatically position their dilemmas in one of those three buckets, which can be very valid. And But then also maybe they haven't also taken into account that oh, maybe it's also about relationships and not just classroom management. And so we encourage them to shift the frame to consider how their dilemma might involve other domains. I really hope that made sense in a nutshell. <laughs> it did. It definitely did. Yeah. So we've heard a lot about um, Teresa and um, probably willingly and voluntarily, I feel I've been roped in and we've heard an awful lot, probably far too much <laughs> about me and how I certainly would have benefited uh, from frame shifting a long, long time ago. Um and does frame shifting work for everybody? Is, is it kind of just me and Teresa and the problems and issues we have, which probably were quite similar, actually. But, you know, do you have any other examples or people who, whom you've worked with maybe who, who have applied uh, frame shifting and has worked for them? Yeah, and I actually just want to say that I am so glad you brought up your dilemmas because I've never met a teacher who doesn't have dilemmas at the ready that they want to talk about because teaching is personal. We work really hard. It's really hard work. And it's frustrating when you're doing everything you can and it's not working. So anyways, thank you for bringing your dilemmas to the table, Paul. That was really helpful, I think, actually. Um, another teacher that we have talked about is um, a teacher who was working with middle school students and wanted them to work on a group project and it was going to be on ecosystems. 
And so he had, I think he gave him a few days to just, here's the group project. He assigned them randomly to groups and said, you have three days to finish this project. And he's pulling his hair out saying, my kids can't handle group work. They're not getting anything done. You know, some kids are talking to each other. Some aren't, they're bickering, whatever. So he's kind of positioned, first of all, you can hear his thinking about kids. They can't handle it. That's a very common phrase. You know, when you say that, there's deficit thinking. Um, and so as we worked with him, he was able to rethink, well, actually, what can I do to structure my instruction so that when I'm giving them a, like a multiple day assignment, it's kind of segmented for them. So they don't have three days to do the whole thing, but maybe you chunk it, you know? Um, and by the end of the next 20 minutes, I want you to have this done, for example. So that was part of his problem. But the other problem was he just threw kids in a group randomly that didn't really know each other. He hadn't done any class building in his classroom, any, any sort of group building sort of work. So that's that relationship piece. He thought he had an instruction problem, but actually there's a big relationship problem happening too. Um, so that's another example. And there's classroom management issues. You know, he could have used timers to let students know how much time they had to work on things, um, different things like that. We could go through a host of things teachers could do in that situation, but that's just another example. I just, there are so many examples that we all have. <laughs> yeah. And that's another very interesting one. It's, it's striking chords with me as well. Um, cause in, in my early days, I was a languages teacher. I would have taught French and, um, yeah, that, that group work was always, you know, yeah, it, it posed those questions, you know, um, why can't I get these children to do this group? Oh, come on. It's so easy. Just do it. Um, and you, I, I suppose you would, you would drive home in the afternoon, you grip the steering wheel and you're kind of thinking, you know, what can I do and what can I do differently? Um, but I think the, the the fact that you have brought, you know, uh, an intellect uh, and a framework to what I would have done just driving home, thinking random shots fire or random thoughts uh, shooting off uh, is, is very interesting. Um, it's very interesting to kind of uh, sort of the sense I have is narrow down the problem but also expand the problem maybe it's a bit like you said brianna you know zooming in and then zooming out yeah it's, it's that's, very the, that's the frame that's the metaphor right so using the frame yeah. what what is a frame a frame is something that shows you you know what's inside and what's outside it captures a specific thing of focus uh and so we use this frame to focus in and then we brought in the frame back to think about the whole picture again and that allows us to then zoom the frame back in in a different way. Um, and it's that shifting of this frame across these three domains that opens up the possibility to think differently about what's happening in that moment and then to identify some different moves. So after, after in our work, after we've laid out these two stages, we actually do a pretty intensive literature review to then give uh, teachers some ideas about what moves they might select that might be, you know, evidence informed um, that can then address the different aspects of the dilemma that they have identified. Um, and so, you know, we 
we think that these two stages are really foundational to set the teacher up for success. And then we don't leave you there. We then say, okay, now that you have this foundation, this way of thinking and the systematic approach of thinking about it, let's give you some possible things to try. Um, always re-engaging those habits because when you try something and it doesn't work, the first inclination is to blame those stinking kids then you need the habits of mind again. Then you need your asset-based thinking. Then you need your personal responsibility. So that's why we laid that foundation at the beginning. Excellent, yeah. A thought struck me um, just when you were both talking there. Um, and I wonder, because we did say at the beginning that you know we have different stages in, in our career. And, you know, probably luckily, you know, I did come around to more of the experience of my mother and I would have been able to come around the corner a few years or months or whatever later and, and really manage groups like that very, very differently. Um, and and that's, that's great. I wonder, it was just a thought arose, um, if we change situation or circumstance or schools even, um, I'm wondering, do we kind of get kind of thrown back a little bit? You know, do we regress slightly before we can kind of rethink and re-engage or reframe, I suppose? Maybe maybe you it's know, something you haven't thought about. But Well, it, what, it, what I thought of instinctively immediately as you posed the question is, um, in my own teaching career, I started out teaching in um, a, a, a general... Uh, secondary school, which in the US we call middle school. Amy referred to it earlier, and that is early adolescence between the age of 11 four, and 14. And it's kind of a stage between primary and high school. And so I started out it, it just in a kind of typical school. My students were all um, immigrants and living, you know, basically below the poverty line and they didn't speak English as a first language. So it was a challenging typical school experience. But I moved from that to teaching kids who had been disciplinarily removed from school. So they'd been excluded from school. Um, and I had the same kids all day long in that setting. And that shift really forced me to take an asset-based approach, take personal responsibility, frame problems I could have control over, and also just rethink some of the practices that I had come to rely upon in a mainstream classroom that just were not working in the same way. But those foundational beliefs and that persistence about, okay, there has to be a way to do this and I'm going to find it. Um, that I think is really the key. And that is why in this approach, I mean, I know I've said it a bunch of times already, but we, you know, these habits of mind are really, really key because as teachers progress through their careers, like, like I did and are in different contexts, the, the dilemmas do change, right? Um, but the, the habits of mind remain important to sort of approaching those dilemmas in a, in a new way. I'm also glad that you all brought up this point because something we talk about a lot is the importance of culture in thinking about frame shifting. And so every school is its own culture. We have to take into account the cultural backgrounds of our students um, when we're trying to make curriculum that is relevant to them, when we're, when we're thinking about our relationships with them and how we're connecting with them. So we, we can't really have this conversation devoid of considering culture and the role that plays. And I'm even thinking, Paul, about your wife's research 
and the student teachers who all wanted to get jobs in those fancy schools. I'm assuming that might have been some of the schools they went to. That's at least the case for the students that I'm teaching. And so we also are cultural beings. You know, we're coming to the table with our own expectations from our own backgrounds that shapes our beliefs and also the approaches we take. If we're used to being in schools where we've only seen a certain type of instruction ourselves, then that's what we might do ourselves. So it's it's really important to think about the place, the school you're in and what you're bringing to the table. Mm, yeah, yeah. Gosh, a lot to think about as well and some really outstanding advice and, and guidance. And it's just so practical uh, for teachers to, uh, to use. Uh, thank you so much. Now, it's at this point in the program, I ask a question that's become a bit of a tradition. If you had a magic wand and only one spell that you could cast, what spell would you magically cast to make the lot of teachers uh, better? Um, Amy promised she might oh. sing at some point uh. in this, in this uh, episode. <laughs> this might be the moment. No. Um, so, you know, that seems like a simple Should question. Very of, course, welcome. of course, it's not at all. Um, a simple question because any particular spell or change is going to have these ripple effects. But um, I would say for me that um, teacher pay and respect, right? Sort of, sort of paying teachers like it is the most important job in the world because I think that it is. Uh, and then creating uh, respect that shows that and conditions that show that that would be my spell. I think that would radically change the teaching profession and improve the lives of teachers. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's my turn, right? It certainly would, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I told Brianna, yeah. this reminded me of that car. Is it the cars who say, uh-oh, it's magic? You know that song? I knew we were gonna just, I knew we were gonna get a song at some point. <laughs> well, the cars have a song about it being magic. Um, so if I had a Good. magic wand, I think, um, you know, you can pay teachers all the money in the world, which they deserve. But if you don't change their working conditions, it, it has to go hand in hand with changing working conditions, giving more time for actual planning, not so many meetings, fewer students in the classroom, giving them autonomy to write their own curriculum and not be handed down mandates. I mean, I just really, and maybe that's my own local context, but the working conditions are really, uh, hurting teachers. It's been great to spend time with you, Amy and Brianna. I think we've really benefited from your research, your insight, and you know, the stories you've told us. Listeners will have a lot to, to go away with. Thank you very much and take care. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.